Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Hurling Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined again to speak by Kieran Collins and Rory Walsh. How are things, lads? Hey, Mark. How are you? Mark, yourself? That's your grand now. Kind of quickly getting into mid-February at this stage. So I suppose tonight we'll look at round two of Allianz Hurling League 1A, 1B. Some keynote wins for Cork and Tipperary away from home. We'll also look at Division 2 promotion race. There was a few kind of marquee results there. And also be remiss of us not to look at the Ashburn Cup. I suppose, guys, we'll look at 1A first. Uh, Karen, what kind of focused your attention last weekend in round two? Yeah, sure, I suppose we start with a uh, Saturday night game, uh, Limerick and Clare. I suppose, you know, we're expecting a Titanic battle, which the last kind of three or four games have been, and it wasn't what we got. I think the teams are at complete different intensities. Limerick from the start were playing a high tempo, and the Clare, for whatever reason, were just weren't up to the pace. You know, Clare looked very leggy, lethargic, like there was no... Uh, the fight wasn't there, you know, the, the work rate, tackling, hooking, blocking, it just, you know, compared to, you know, the Munster final last year, there were like two different teams. Um, it is a league, you know, we, we expect these performances from teams kind of the odd week here and there. But look, I suppose from a Limerick point of view, um, you know, I think Michal Hulin coming in, uh, 12 points, you know, it's a very good tally and he possibly could have had a few more. He missed a few frees as well, you know, we've been... Not being overcritical on him. I was impressed with Adam English when he came in. Look, I can see that playing out around the field, he had a bit more space than he probably be used to. And I suppose because Clare didn't bring much intensity, you know, he had more time in the ball. But I think he, you know, he's kind of really impressed me so far in the first two games this year. And he definitely got about things the right way. Uh, good to see Keenan getting the start again after, you know, probably the ones of a year. And, you know, I think... While he's not at his best, you know, it's, it's good to see him around the middle of the field and, you know, delaying passes and just kind of orchestrating things. Uh, really happy to see him back. I think John Kiley will be impressed, especially with the first half showing. 16 points again, similar to the, the Cork game. And I kind of kicked it on as well into the second half. But I suppose what he won't be happy with is the, the closing minutes. You know, Clare winning the last maybe 10 minutes, 1-9 to 1-1. And bringing this was the game closer and scored than it needed to be uh, from my point of view. Won't be happy with that, but I suppose looking at the play, Limerick should be playing a shorter ball a lot more. Like Limerick are a team that mix it up. I'd be kind of looking at like Jamie Flanagan. I think he's been very quiet the last few weeks, but I think it's just because he hasn't been getting the constant supply. So I think Limerick kind of play, playing it through the lines and most of their scoring has come from, you know, out the field, be it Hegarty and Tom Arcee come on and got two. Uh, Kyle Hayes running from deep as well so uh, they just seem to be playing a little bit more shorter uh, whether they'll mix it up as the summer goes on I suppose here to be seen from Clare yeah look it, it wasn't the Clare we're used to seeing Abe McCarthy really impressed this wasn't at times he kept Clare in the game especially in the first half but like 1-1 from play in the first half is just not good enough you know for any inter-county for any country team got David Reedy coming on you know scoring 1-2 and I think maybe he won two frees as well, you know, which were were pointed. So it was a massive impact from here off the bench. And I'm sure Clare won't panic, you know, Tony Kelly, Conlon, Shane O'Donnell still to come back. One player for Clare that kind of was a bit of an enigma really is Aaron Shanahan. Like, you know, he's so much potential and he's shown it, but he never really kicked on to the next level. I suppose Rory, you'll probably know a bit more, but like you hear, hear about Shanahan for club scoring maybe 
three, 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 four in games, and just, I don't think he's brought that to Clare on a consistent level. You know, Clare have some very good young, especially forwards like Mark Rogers and the player on form at the minute, especially in Fitzgibbon. But I think Shanahan just kind of, you know, you expect you expect now for it to be putting his hand up and and to be taking the jersey and making it his week in week out. But look, yeah, it's it's league. I'm sure these teams will have a battle later on in the, in the year again. I suppose for from a number point of view, I suppose we're at the minute we're happy with how we're going. Rory, get you in there. From a care perspective, what's been the overriding feeling after that game against Limerick? Yeah, at one stage, midway through the second half, I think Clare were down 13, 14 points, and it looked like this could be a really embarrassing scoreline. Even if, as Kieran alluded, like that it didn't look like they were too bothered about the result of the game, but you still, you don't want it to put in a situation where it's demoralising for some of the players out there, especially the the newer guys getting their go. And it wasn't until David Reedy came in, as Kieran said, that kind of steadied the ship a small bit and brought a bit of respectability. It seemed to me like he was a guy who was sitting on the sideline for the first, whatever, 45 minutes, just watching on and not happy with what he was seeing out there and said, I'm, I'm at least going to try and make some bit of a difference. And only that, like that brought a bit of a resurgence and a bit of respectability to the scoreline because it could have been, yeah, it could have been a pretty demoralizing um, scoreline in the end. And it was hard to believe that it was six points because um, the, the standard of play between both teams was a lot more than six points. I suppose other positives from Limerick, Peter Casey coming back in. Scoring the three points, and I thought Kyle Hayes didn't skip a beat, really, did he? In terms of the half-back line, coming in with three points as well. So, I think some positives for both teams. And I mean, Claire, you know, you could say make performance, but at least they fought to the end. I think the one 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 ending, I think, was maybe a positive note here, Rory. Particularly for Claire, that, you know, at least there was a bit of pride salvaged at the end. And I mean, as Kieran has said, some of the big marquee guys to come back in again. So... You know, it could have been a hell of, hell of a lot worse. I look, it did show. It showed that uh, there was some fight at some stage. Pity there wasn't a bit more fight earlier in the game when the game was still in the melting pot. But I uh, look, it did show at the end that uh, I, I presume the players looking up at the scoreboard thought we can't allow this because it was a huge crowd within from Clare as well. It was a big attendance at the game, and oh, there is a, a level of responsibility on players to put in some bit of a shift in a performance anyway for the fans. And uh, yeah, as we said, it could have got out of control. And uh, yeah, look, it is, uh, we, we pointed this out last week, that this game was probably one of the games that looked most like there might be a bit of shadow boxing in it. Um, last year, I presume, when the teams met so often that uh, you kind of have to, from a clear point of view anyway, choose your battles. And uh, I'd say Lohan kind of straight away had this one kind of thought of where we're going to come to the Gaelic grounds and beat Limerick. There's no point doing it in February. It's the game in April is the one, really. I think as well, Mark, for Limerick, I was really impressed with um, Shane O'Brien. I think he did a great battle all game with Rory Hayes. Like, Rory Hayes is one of the best cornerbacks in the country, and it was a good physical battle, and, and great to see him kind of, you know, he, he scored two points off him, but, you know, that he, he didn't shy back, and, you know, he really held his own. And, like, for a young guy, that's, you know, it's um, a very, very spirited, you know, great game. And I suppose from a point of view, Limerick point of view, like, the, Young guys are really putting their hand up at the minute. And the interesting thing there, Kieran, is his father is a Claire S&C coach. So <laughs> that must have been a, an interesting conversation in the car back to Kilmallock afterwards. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, but uh, I'd say I'll play for in April. Uh, two teams uh, lock horns again, but uh, full points for Limerick on Saturday night. I suppose, Kieran, reaction from Wexford after that 223 
1-13 win over Westmead and Mullingar. I know Dar Egan was a bit critical in terms of shots on target and shots going over. What's been the reaction down in Wexford to that uh, win? Yeah, look, I suppose if you look at the team, it's, you know, it was a, a probably experimental, to say the least. Um, uh, Key Lynch, or, sorry, Lee Ching going off at halftime. Uh, Ross Banville come in, and there's a lot of a lot of talk about Ross Banville down here that, you know, get him in, give him a chance. He's a, you know, a really, really deadly free taker. And I think at least that's what Wexford needs. Like, Chin was not at his best on the freeze, you know, obviously first game back. But, you know, we, we they're lacking a free taker, and may, like maybe Banville is the answer to this, or at least give him a chance. Yeah, 19-20 wides. You know, I, I think it carries on from the game last week against Galway, where I think shot selection was is an issue. You know, it's like panic shooting from out the field, where maybe one more pass or or you know break a tackle and and lay a pass or take a shot in. I think it's something that they really need to work on from a point of view of. Lee Chin, who's injured for the rest of the league, and I, I believe as well, Connor is not going to see any league action due to an knee injury. Not even sure what way he's going to fare out for the championship, but I think it's a blow. But maybe it's in a way, another way, it's good that, you know, it kind of forces Egan's hand to, to keep going with the younger guys. There does seem to be a lack of, of maybe quality off the bench, but I suppose, you know, if he's no optimal to play him, it, it may be a good thing in the long run. I just think when. When the likes of an injury comes in, it's cover issues like, you know, Liam Ryan was injured and Damien Reck, who's probably one of your best attacking backs, has to go into full back. You know, I think that shows the, the, the depth that might be in Wexford, you know. So I think if, if certain players, crucial players to the team go injured, it's the worry is who, who slots in there, you know. Absolutely, Rory, we'll get you in here. So what's been your initial impressions of Wexford in these first two games of the league? Uh, not good, really. The first game against Galway was their chance to, you know, put down a bit of a statement at home, and it didn't happen for them, especially second half fell away. Um, look, they, they were kind of at a hiding to nothing going up to Westmead because of the, sca- the score Clare had put up in the previous week. They're probably under pressure to, you know, put up a big victory. Look, 13 points is a big victory, but as Kieran said earlier and Derry Egan pointed out, you're looking at against Westmead, you, you can't be really hitting 19 wides, um, you know, against a team that maybe may not be applying as much pressure on the shot as you're going to get from a Kilkenny or a Galway later on in the championship. So that's that is a, you know, that is a real worry from a Westmead point of view. Like, like this was the game that we even said this last week. Looking at their fixtures, this was the game where they could really, you know, put in put up a fight all the way maybe to the end. And and the fact that it didn't happen and they lost by double, um, score double figures again is a real worry like and you just have to wonder now would Westmeath in terms of development be better off in which or Kerry Kildare in this league because I don't see how getting five beatings is going to help them develop and it's just going to demoralize you know what player is going to really bounce into training Monday or Tuesday after that game like after two weeks in a row looking forward now to Cork on the horizon Galway on the horizon you know it doesn't get any easier and Limerick of course so they're the last three fixtures they have to face. So maybe the GA have to have a rethink about the format of the league um, if you're going to have these games in it or, or, or teams in it that are just off that level. And I know people will say, well, didn't they draw with Wexford last year in the championship and they deserve to be there in that account? But looking at the performances so far and fearing what's, going, what's about to come for them, like it's, you know, the, the, the present results seem to indicate otherwise that, you know, that, that they're... Maybe the GA should rethink it. Like they could do a system where 
maybe uh, you have your group of four or five and you play a random selection of two teams from the other side to bring up the fixtures to five or six. So let's say, for example, Clare might play Kilkenny and um, uh, Tip from that group and Limerick might play another two teams from that, Dublin and Kilkenny. You know the way? So something like that maybe because there isn't enough strong teams to have two groups of six. That seems to be quite evident after two rounds. I think Westmead as well, like scoring only one seven from play against an experimental extra team, like and that kind of shows you what what level they're at. And you know, like taking Hydens week in week out, albeit it's a league, as you said, Rory. Like I'm sure it's hard to have any motivation to pick yourself up and go training on a Tuesday, Wednesday night. I think yeah, I agree that maybe they would be better off with Kerry and and be competitive, you know, and and. Uh, you know, it probably would bring them on more from it, like playing teams of the similar quality. Yeah, I mean, it started well for Westmead. I mean, there were five points to three up after about 13 minutes here. I suppose Joe Fortune can point to the McCabe goal very well worked after the McDonald opener, but I suppose it really was all Wexford in that second half and the Killian Doyle's dependency as well. Kieran, you've kind of alluded to it here, haven't you? I mean, he scored nine points, eight from three, so again... There's not much production coming from the Ford line unit either. So I think there's ominous signs here for Westmead. It doesn't get any easier, does it, with Cork, Galway and Limerick here to conclude the league. So facing that into maybe a relegation final as well. So, yeah, it's been a you know a poor start for Westmead. But again, Wexford have points on the board and they'll seem to they'll look to improve anyway, obviously, from that performance. I suppose uh, Rory, Nolan Park, Kenny. Tipperary's first win in Northern Park in 15 years, but I suppose at what cost with Paddy Cadell and uh, Cahill Barrett looking at long-term injuries here? Yeah, it's a real worry, the injuries for Tipperary, just to begin with first. We know last year they had a you know, a season that was riddled with injuries. Uh, you had Colin Bonner-Seen going in last year without uh, Shims Callan, John McGrath went off very early against Clare. He ended up with you know, ha- half his forward line gone, not to mention two or three other senior um, figures in their, in their squad. So, to begin this year for Liam Cahill with further injuries is just, you know, we've had Jar Brown injured before the league. Now two more high-profile injuries. Uh, Niall Amara, who was training with the squad, injured as well now as well. So, um, look, uh, we know this time of year players are vulnerable-like, and I, I know from training teams this time of year as well, inside Newell, you're going from uh, astro surface to pitch surface, and, you know, the players are more at risk, so it's time to... Really, for SNC teams and injury prevention units within squads to make sure to try and uh, you know alleviate injuries as much as possible, but you, you just can't account for for certain injuries that happen. And uh, for Tipperary, I just worry. I know regardless of how well they're going in the league, you'd have to worry going into a Munster Championship, which is so competitive, to be without so many key players. Considering uh, you know coming in last year as, as as a team that finished bottom of the group after losing all their games, and now to have further injuries on it. On top of that, uh, it just looks a bit ominous for Tipperary, regardless, you know, but now winning Nolan Park is one thing, but, you know, doing it in April in Munster Championship with, um, you know, six, seven injuries altogether, it's going to be tough. Karen, get you in there. What's your impressions of Tipperary here? Tipperary have improved, uh, definitely on last year. I think they're more organised, especially on, uh, on puckouts, opposition puckouts, you know, uh, I think they're crowding the landing area and, and, and winning the breaking ball. Like looking back to the game, I suppose if you were to look at the result at half time without seeing the game, you would think, you know, Tip must be shooting the lights out, it must be unreal here. And to a certain extent, they were good. But I think, I also think Kilkenny were very, very, very poor. 
Kenny are persistent with a short game. They're, you know, working the ball out through the lines and there was a, a, an awful amount of unforced errors in doing that. And I think Tipperate, especially Ford, you know, was, was living off these errors and picking up balls. Like, I think 113 came from turnover ball. So out of 224, 113. So I think that shows you that Kilkenny, I suppose, weren't up to their, the standard you associate with Kilkenny. Like the the work rate wasn't there. Like the, the intensity of play, they were playing a game they're not used to. You know, I know Ling kind of after the game said that like they won't panic, but they need big improvements fast. I'm sure when it comes to the summer, it'll be a case of, you know, mixing long and short. But I suppose they're playing a game at the minute that they're not used to playing. I think I think Tip just kind of took advantage of that. I think they have a huge reliance on Jason Ford, and you know he's on top form. He's a real sharp shooter. Like only one nine scored from the other other players aside from Ford, which really shows their reliance. And but Tipperary also had nineteen wides as well, so they, they were creating a lot of chances. Look, I think Carl is he's two wins under the belt. They're improving as weeks go on. I suppose. The league is going to be important to him to get support back to the, on, with the team as well after what last year, you know, we you know about the lack of crowds turn up to see him. But I do worry him from going into one's championship, especially with injuries. We know how testing it is on panels week in, week out, playing games and, uh, you know, injuries like that. The likes of Cottle Barrett, who they would be heavily, heavily relying on in the full back line, I think, to listen for 10 to 12 weeks, you know, I think it's going to be a huge loss. Likes of Barry Heffernan, Sonny just coming back from injury as well. So, I mean, there seems to be a bit of a void here in midfield a little bit. I think the cornerback position certainly is something there that's probably going to be looked at. But I suppose from a temporary perspective, if you want to put positives on it, Seamus Cannon came in, first start, looked pretty sharp. His assist on the Jason Ford goal was absolutely superb. And I suppose from a temporary perspective, they did create goal chances, four goal chances alone in that opening period as well that they missed. So... Again, it probably exposed Kilkenny a little bit in terms of the performance. So is Martin Cohan with 1-2. John Donnelly, four points. Probably a standout performance here for Kilkenny, but really does say an awful lot for Derek Ling that the Baddy Hale lads will be a pivotal fulcrum here for this Kilkenny side come championship. Uh, Rory? Yeah, it was interesting as well. I think it was, was a Pat Florian commentary that referred to them as Nepushini, the kittens. Because I don't know, is he referring to the age profile of the team or their performance? But... Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> he, they didn't learn the sad as a cat for him anyway on uh, Sunday. So yeah, look, it is it is a, a bit of a worry for for Kilkenny. Uh, look again, it's early days, and uh, as Karen was saying, Ling is trying to stamp kind of a, you know a, a slight change of game plan and get the players comfortable going short, which we know in in Harla now you have to be able to mix it up with short and long. And it, look, it, it is going to take time, and as he said, they won't panic over it either. And again. Uh, like Kilkenny will probably have their eyes much further down the road. We said this about Galway last week, but it's impossible to see uh, Leinster this year without Kilkenny being one of the three getting out. So he knows that they're in they're in it for the long road. Um, uh, Tipperary, I suppose, are probably in a different place as well, coming in um, new ma- new management, trying to get a bit of confidence after last year. And uh, look, they've uh, another win on the board for them. So yeah, they they're probably going to be featuring in the latter stages of the league, which I'm sure Liam Cahill just wants more games and more games for just to learn more about his squad, if anything. But I think Kilkenny yeah. looked leggy as well, uh, Roy, didn't they? You know, they were into our six and sevens at the back, really. And But mm-hmm. really, uh, Podrick Walsh just showed the versatility of the man, you know, playing the forwards the last two or three years, slapping back against centre-back. Like, you know, I, I thought he had a very good game as well. So, you know, just shows how good a player he is. But, yeah, I said Kilkenny won't panic, but 
I, I, I think the fans are probably the first are showing what how frustrated it is. I suppose understanding Kilkenny that you know it's, it's long ball and that's where it was for years, and I suppose just change change the game is probably frustrating to the, especially the older generation possibly. And there was a, a period in the second half with maybe five minutes to go where Kilkenny had rattled off a few scores and then hit a couple of bad wides where they could really have put the pressure on Tipperary coming down the stretch. And I think it might have been Jason Ford went up and kind of settled things again for, for Tip. But the, there could have been a, a point there where uh, had those couple of bad wides gone over like that, uh, you could have had maybe Tip being caught and thrown away a big lead, which after Kilkenny's performance they didn't really deserve. But... It just shows that, like they are, it's it's a cliche, but they aren't. They are never beaten, even in a league game, um, where they will show that bit of fight and got themselves right back in with a chance of maybe overturning the results. But yeah, a bit away, we're shooting custom. And I mean, from a Kilkenny perspective, it definitely was an upturn in that second half. Scored six out of the first eight points in the second half, and as you said, Rory, you know, they put it back to I think it was four points at the end. Only then for Jason Ford to kind of come in and kind of settle any nerves. But I suppose Tipperary, there was a lull there third period, or third quarter without a question. I suppose we could maybe switch to Cork and Galway. We've got them in 1A uh, on Sunday. A real high-scoring affair here. Cairn, uh, uh, Cork 2 from 2. And the Rebels, uh, the fans seem to be in buoyant mood. I suppose the changing of the game was in a two- or three-minute period where Galway, Ocean Salmon was sent off and Cork fired two, you know, two goals in quick succession and that was the change in the game. I suppose if you're looking overall, I think even in the first half, I think Galway looked very leggy. I don't think I've ever seen um, Conor Whelan as poor. You know, they looked like a team who've done a lot of training this week, possibly. They were, you know, the intensity wasn't there that you'd be used to seeing from them. Cork, I suppose from the plus sides for Cork, Declan Dalton, really good game, big physical player. I think he's exactly what type of player Cork could do it, you know, especially in possibly centre forward. But I do think as well, you know, he had a lot of space and a lot of time and, you know, he's not going to get that time in the summer months when, when championships rolls around. Lehan hitting 2-3, you know, it just shows what he can do. But we all know from Lehan, it's, Lehan, it's, it's consistency. You know, look at his performance last week where I thought he was very poor and then shooting 2-3 this week. It's, it's, it's consistency for Cork and especially for Lehan. You know, Cork have serious goal threats. I kind of compare Cork to France, you know, on the rugby. They have players, you know, brilliant players singly, but I think they need to make themselves a team now. You know, like across the field, like there's some super, super players, but I think they just kind of need to play as a team. And if they do, God knows what, the, you know, what kind of, how dangerous they could be. But I think consistency is a huge issue for Cork. Yeah, the Cork fans are obviously happy two from two. Uh, I just don't know should we take it that serious you know Galway were down to 40 men for most of the second half but still had a chance to bring it back to a two-point game only for a, you know a penalty that was saved you know so kind of does that say a lot about Cork closing out the game and I suppose if you look back to this time last year Cork were in the same position they beat Clare by nine beat Offaly by 19 Limerick by nine and Galway by six you know so we're kind of seeing what happened last year happen again this year so, yeah, for now, I'm, I'm not going to worry about Cork too much in that regard, but I, th- I do think, yeah, from Pat Ryan's point of view, I'm sure he'd be happy two from two, and I, I think Cork will be one of the teams, along with Tipperary, featuring at the latter stage of the league and, and possibly could be, you know, could go on to win it even. Certainly. Uh, Rory, get you in there in terms of Cork and Galway. What's been your reaction to those two teams, uh, first two games out? What Declan Dalton offers Cork is a different type of forward. They have a lot of very similar 
you know, quick running type forwards that maybe need that bit of space and an open field, you know, to, to run at teams. Whereas he he does offer something different. Uh, he's a ball winner and he's he's great hands. Again, the worry and Kieran kind of mentioned that his space he doesn't have like great pace or, or agility as such. Um, but he is a great striker the ball if they can free him up. So maybe having a mix of forwards isn't a bad thing. Guy he's strong in the air, you can go long to him. And then um, if he's kind of looping around, if if the forwards are creating space and he's peeling off, and he's a guy uh, finishing the shots off, you know it, there is a place for him in the team. And I just found that the last few years, like Cork seemed to, you know, they could put out six forwards that could really rotate in any position because they were all pretty similar in style. And it is no harm to ha- have a player that does a different type of forward as such. Um, Galway, it's one thing um, interesting. At the very start of the game, Galway's first two points were goal chances and they tapped them over the bar. And yeah. I'm just wondering, like with Shefflin and Kilkenny, the way they ruthlessly go for goals at the start, I guarantee you a video worked this week. He was showing back those two chances and saying, Goals are on here. First minute of the match at home, you go for them because at the end they came back to haunt them. Um, so look, it is maybe a small lesson they could have learned uh, at the beginning of the game. Again, look, uh, we're talked about a few teams that looked a bit kind of leggy and off it, and you don't know what block of training has gone in. Galway maybe as well. They kind of figured we go down, we won at Wexford, and maybe you know we'll we'll put a bit of work in this week. We'll still be in the shake up of things um, later on in the league. They'd be thinking that way, but um, look, if that wasn't the case, it's a rude awakening for them as well because it isn't often they do they get turned over in Pierce Stadium in the league and they did a fancy their chance going into this regardless. But uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a there's they're both teams with question marks. Um, okay, Cork has started well two out of two, but as Kieran said, there's huge question marks still over them. Consistency being being the big word with a lot of their players. And Galway as well, kind of a similar, like they, we all know the talent that they have, but just getting them to produce it. Everyone keeps every year expecting them to, um, you know, put in these big performances. And then last year, like I don't know where I learned semi-final, they threw in a mammoth performance, nearly win the game, could easily have. And um, so you just don't know what you're going to get with them either. I think that for me, why I think they were off um, at least three, if not four, the Cork goals, uh, Result of Cork player bearing down a goal, and no Galway defender came out to close down the attack. You know, so I, I think that's, you know, for me, a team that's tired or you know, not up to it on that day. Um, Cork just you know came in at their own, uh, as they will, you know, and easy, easy finishes for them in the end. But I think at the other end for for Galway, I think Sheffield will be very happy. Mark, Mark McManus uh, scoring one three, you know, so. They have options as well, you know. It's kind of like Cork. They have players, you know, front forwards and backs. For Sheffield, it's it's kind of a case of uh, finding players to step up um, on big days. You know, they can't rely on Connor Whelan all the time to do it. Connor Whelan kind of really did experiment out in the forty, didn't he? A bit, particularly in that open period, he was on Kieran Judge for a little bit. He, he rotated around the, the wing forward position then a little bit. But I suppose Mark McManus probably could be defined here for Galway, particularly in the inside for forward line. Standout for Lockray last year in their passage to the Galway Senior Hurling Championship final. And also Collins as well came in as well. Kind of did a fuse under a few of the home crowd as well. Came in with a nice little burst as well. But I suppose lads, Dahi Burke, not in full back, four goals conceded. I mean, uh, it as you said here, defensively, a little bit all at sea here, Galway. Uh, Dahi Burke is looking like a big fulcrum again for... Galway come championship, Mike Kieran. Absolutely, yeah. I, I just, you know, 
it was a goal for me to kind of you know show that okay mate, look it is the league and we don't know what work rate or what training block we on this week but I think this, it was very very easy for Cork at least three occasions and you know come come championship you, for Sheffield you, you'd hope you know that you know all that that threat would be closed down straight away you know not coming down to close down a attacking player it's you know you'd expect it regardless what time of year it is or what competition it is. Good start for Cork. Galway probably in reflection mode a little bit. Cork come away with spoils. I suppose Waterford travelled to Port Leash on Saturday night. Rory, is there a discipline problem here in Waterford? Not a red card. Mikey Kiley may be unlucky to get a red card, but three red cards in two games doesn't read well for Waterford and with officials heading into championship season. Yeah, the only thing is it's happening early in the league. And I suppose like we had this kind of with Limerick early in the league last year. And it's probably the best time for it to happen because you can iron it out in time for championship. But yeah, look, it, 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 should they get another red card in their next game, that would be three games in a row. It would be serious questions asked maybe of, um, you know, of Davy Fitz involved. Or, or is he, you know, is he getting players to tackle in a disciplined way, not lose the rag? And we do know that there are a couple of, you know, volatile players, water for team that in the past have been, like uh, Austin Gleeson, you know, has been r- risen by opposition in the past and gotten red cards as a result. And it's just something, I suppose, that Davey has to be keeping an eye on, like, because um, you don't want to go into a Munster Championship game red card early in a game. You're at a hiding to nothing then. And uh, yeah, three red cards in two games, it's, it, it has to be a worry. But look, as I said, it is early in the league. And if it's going to happen, and you, you've, he's loads of time to fix it anyway. Karen, what's your opinion on backroom staff members behind a goal here, instructing the keeper and where to puck to? Yeah, sure. It's a, I suppose it's a known trick of Davies, really, isn't it? You know, obvious someone up in the stand or behind the goal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If it's something that they require, albeit I don't have much of an issue with it. You know, whatever they think if it gains an advantage to, to win the game. Davies going to try different things anyway. Just to, you know, for his own, it's because it's whatever he does. You know, he just does things off the cuff and and kind of peculiar maybe at times. But I, I I don't see a major issue with it. Lads, this game was in the melting pot up until 43 minutes. These were actually in front 212 to 113, given that the early red card for Mike Kiley, Milani coming in with 2-2. But I suppose, lads, we have to take positives here for Waterford. Probably Neil Montgomery, probably one prominent performance but also the scoring of 118 and 11 points off the bench particularly in that closing quarter I think there's a few pleasing factors here Rory for Davy Fitz and the management really to kind of look at from video analysis to speak of the game yeah and, and as we said they were in a position where they, they were in they were in trouble they were a man down and they were a point down and and yet they rallied and finished the game quite comfortably and also just watching um Fitzgibbon tonight with uh Gavin Fies showing up really well and Ruben O'Halloran for Waterford, like Davy has players coming through. It's he doesn't have to stick with the same team that's been there for the last few years. He can mix it up a bit now because he has there are talented players at his disposal. Um, like interested. The only thing I, I would say with Davy is that Waterford are expecting things now with this team. They reckon last year was a, a kind of a, a blip in terms of the development of this team. They they see the team as being uh, as Derek McGrath was putting it before a uh, ball was thrown in the Munster Championship as a, the team to challenge Limerick and that fell away very quickly last year but I presume a lot of people in Waterford would still see last year as a blip and so I, I don't think 
Davy is going to be, he's not in there to do a, a transitional job or development job, uh, albeit he can blood in these guys into the team, but he needs results this year. Like this, Waterford really should, their, their minimum here is going to be qualifying out of Munster and then having a go at the All-Ireland Series then. So I don't think, you know, he can be afforded much time and uh, I presume he understands that himself. Yeah, and I think of Waterford as well, they will be happy, you know, I suppose in one way it shows the gulf in class between look Leash were better than last week, but like Waterford played that match thirty five minutes with a man less and and still win that comfortably. I suppose it shows the the level Leash are at, or maybe we should put them in the same pot as as Westmead and and Kildare, Kerry, and, and so on. But I think for for Davy, like he he has to be happy. I think there's also a case that Isaac Leeson's come on. Come up from the bench for the last two weeks and put on big, big performance, a big score. And you know, is it a case where maybe he could be a, a finisher in the game? You know, you have, as, as Rory said, like Ruben Holleran and you have Patrick Sterl and you know, young guys that are coming through that weren't there last year. And you know, maybe it's a case where Ozzy might be, you know, like a a, 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 late, a super sub in a way. But you know, the last two weeks, super performances um, from the bench to. To seal and and see them over the line basically because they have scored at least uh, seventeen points to five in the last quarter. Like so, albeit the big guns that come on, but I'm sure from an attack point of view and a scoring point of view, you know, Davy has to be happy with that. Certainly, and nothing decent. A guy you'd see in the middle third, you know, if games are in the melting pot. Twenty five minutes to go, teams tiring a little bit. You know, real impacts up there. Uh, Rory, what do you think? I, I presume it's something that it's worth looking at for them. Um... He, again, uh, speaking about players, you just don't know what you'll get from him. We all remember his performance against Cork up in the Ireland semi-final a couple of years ago when he was throwing ball over lads' heads and dummy hand passes, and it was just magical. So uh, more so than nearly any player in the country, he's got just a raw natural ability and things happen. He makes things happen. But yet again, like there are times when the performance just isn't there from him. So maybe coming in at, uh, off the bench, just having a more focus, he's 20 minutes to do something that... And, as Kieran said, game is opening up a small bit. He could do real damage from that point of view. Again, though, if Waterford up an injury or two, can they afford Aston on the bench is another thing. But it's look, that's something that will play out over the summer. Again, it's going to be fascinatingly poised uh, for round three. So for Waterford, I suppose to conclude on the 1B action here, Dublin beating Antrim by three points. But I think the overall impression from uh, Darren Gleeson and also Michal O'Donoghue was probably a frustration here. Uh, Dublin winning 28 points to 219, but probably Dublin a late collapse again in the last quarter, allowing Antrim back into it, and Antrim probably counting the cost of some bad wides, particularly in that third quarter. So again, it shows Antrim being very competitive here, Kieran, not getting over the line, but uh, these two do get it on again in the first round of Leinster Championship. So I suppose Dublin have been warned here in terms of Antrim and their potency. From the, the highlights I saw, like Dublin didn't look very good and they looked completely in control. Really impressive point taking from Dublin, especially from distance. And like, I suppose if you are, you, know, I don't know, you, you really are. Like, they were 10 points up, 60, uh, 65 minutes gone. And unanswered 1 4 from Antrim. Like, it made the game closer than it needed to be. So, I think I don't know who he won't be happy with the man or the goals as well. They kind of they came from nothing for, for Antrim. But yeah, look, Antrim have. They have some very good attackers. I think they'll take they'll take some um to be some motivation from that game and and how how close they pushed Dublin in the end. But I think really if 
you know, if Dublin, the 11 different scores over the game, you know, there's a few positives there from Dublin too. And I suppose it will be motivation for Donoghue to use against these lads as the year goes on. But I, I think Dublin should have been in more control at the end of that game because the, as over a whole, they were definitely the best team. Yeah, Rory, get yourself in there. Dublin and Antrim, your impressions in the first two league games? Yeah, well, you, you had uh, Donald Burke again scoring five points from play. Unbelievable striker the ball. And uh, from, from any distance, as Karen was saying, he's just a, you know, a great forward. Maybe um, Donahue might think about maybe resting for a game or two and just seeing how the rest of the forward line work without him. Yeah, that could be something that he might have to think because there's going to be stages in the championship where um, maybe he picks up a knock or whatever and they're without him. So I think, and also it gives a chance for somebody else in the forward line to step up in his absence just in case an injury do, does arrive because there is a still an over-reliance on him. Keelan Malai got 2-1, superb player for Antrim. Um, again, what we've mentioned about Antrim last week is still true. They're really competitive, but they need to bring that through now when they do play leash in the group. You know, not get sucked into another game where it uh, comes right down to the wire again because they should be better than that. Like, And uh, I just see them maybe this year in the Leinster Championship as definitely being capable of a good shock or two. They are still prog- progressing. We see from the even Dunloy, the centre of the club hurling up there is, is really strong, as we know. And you're just kind of hoping that they'll build on this. And we've been in positions before where they've had a decent league campaign and have been competitive, and it, they didn't build on it. So we're hoping that this time they bring it all the way through and do get that shock in the Leinster Championship like that has been maybe uh, forecast there for the last couple of years. I totally agree with you there, Rory. Particularly up in Corrigan Park, he's becoming a bit of a fortress there for Antrim Hurland. So, don't would like to go up there. I mean, look at Kilkenny in round one, you know, got a win, but again, was pretty competitive throughout. So, there are good signs here for Antrim. Dunloy, I suppose, with the club hurling as well. They've shown good flashes here. So, it'll be an interesting watch. I suppose, guys, we'll preview next week, uh, round three. But just to kind of confirm the round three fixtures ahead of next weekend... Uh, with Cork, Westmead, Wexford, Clare and Galway, Limerick in 1A. And in 1B, Dublin, Tipperary and Crowe Park uh, on the Saturday uh, the 25th. Waterford, Fiantrum and Walsh Park and Leash Entertainment, Kilkenny in Ormore Park in the Midlands Derby. So we'll preview that all next week. I suppose, uh, lads, it'd be remiss of us to kind of not look at t- Division 2 because this is, I think, personally, looking to be a real ding-dong affair in terms of promotion again a few fixers up for decision and there's some marquee results here guys Kildare winning it right at the death 117 to 19 points against down Offaly had a stuttering start against Derry admittedly but Owen Cal coming in really steadied the ship and a 33 points to 115 win over Derry and then probably the marquee fixture last weekend Kerry got the job done against Carlo 18 points to 113 so Again, nicely poised here, guys, isn't it? From Kildare, Offaly and Kerry in a promotion hunt here. Yeah, and I think as well, Offaly were in kind of a bit of bother and uh, Owen Cal just kind of shows how important he is. Came on and scored 12 points. Offaly hit 20 second half points. I think Kerry probably had one of their bad days where Carlo were down to two men, or sorry, down two men to 13. Kerry having a real off day, but getting over, getting the job done and I suppose Kildare, yeah, it's it's going to be a good finale when these teams start playing themselves in the next series. Come on. Yeah, it really looks uh, good here, Rory, doesn't it, in terms of round three, four, five. I mean, we're, I think we're realistically calling it here. It's probably one from Kerry Offley and Kildare going up uh, next season. So kind of delicately poised going into round three. 
Yeah, and, and Down are capable of putting a spanner in the works for some of those teams because uh, they had a red card, remember, against Kerry in the first round and still ran against Offaly, sorry, in the first round and still ran Offaly really close despite being down to 14 for uh, for most of the game. Again, uh, Kildare, they gave Kildare a uh, big fright as well. And uh, so, like, you know, they're going to have a say in this yet, may not get up there themselves into a final, but, you know, could scupper another team's chances for sure. Uh, Carla looks showed a bit of a revival. We were talking about um, the, the shocking result they had in week one where they were at home, like really humbled by Kildare with, um, you know, again, a double-digit defeat. But um, they rallied, like went down to Austin Stack Park and ran Kerry to two points. So uh does show like that there is a bit of pride there. And again, we're talking about 1A, not knowing what teams are putting in. Like it's very hard to know in, in Division 2. Um, what effort has been put put in midweek with certain teams as well? It is a very competitive division. Like as we mentioned earlier, like you throw in your Westmead and Leash in there as well, and you're talking, uh, you know, a really good championship, a really good league, I should say, where you have you know a lot of tight games, and the the team that does come out at the end of it then is probably better poised to go in there, maybe into a provincial championship, coming off a, a competition where they've earned the win, a win as such and earned earned the trophy. So, yeah, look, it's just something to think about, I suppose, for the GEA going into next year. It'll be an interesting round three. Probably the marquee fixture here is probably down in Kerry. Kerry entertaining awfully. On Sunday, the 26th of February, we have Carlo against Down. No love lost between these two after last year. And then Derry and Kildare as well, uh, for completing the round three 2A. So you will keep monitoring on that anyway and uh, get reaction next week um, and the following week on those uh, games. I suppose I suppose we can move away from the Islands Hurling League and uh, focus in on the collegiate um, uh, championships. I suppose first off, Fitzgibbon Cup. Rory, Karen, get your reaction Fitzgibbon Cup action this week. Yeah, I so UCC, uh, University of Galway earlier this evening. I think UCC be kind of kicking themselves. They were, I think they were kind of control for best part of that game and a, a late Galway revival. Um, great here in Colleen Point to level up the game. Take his extra time of a South extra time and won by three points in the end. But you know, really impressive performance from Nile and again in the freeze. You know, he's just he's kind of flawless in the freeze, really. Todd Colleen had a great game, Kilcannon chipped him with a few points as well. So I think I think Cork would be kind of you know, regretting the, the I think they were in control. They probably were the best team over definitely the first sixty minutes. Probably rallied late. And the other side, uh, UL and, and uh SCTA Waterford, they're really kind of close game all along it's put the, the class of you will in the end saw it out for him but I was really impressed with Fitzgerald and Ruben Holloran for Waterford you know I think they were the two marquee guys for you well I think you know Grohl O'Connor uh really good in the freeze you know they're I suppose UL have class all over but a really tight game and, and I suppose it'll tease it up for a good final on Saturday coming absolutely you Rory get your reaction there yeah ju- just on the UL game like Waterford uh threw everything at them and uh it was actually, you know, the much lauded forward line, it was actually the backs that dug it out for UL tonight, and Dean Mason made some unbelievable saves. Um, so two, there was, uh, I don't know if you see this clip back, but there was one point-blank save where he was on his back and then got to hurry up again to save the the next, the shot in off the rebound. So um, incredible stuff. And then in the last puck of the game was a 21-yard free and another stop by Mason on the line. So yeah, but Mason, TJ Brennan, like, um, really like, because Waterford were causing them huge problems. Then, um, also, you had uh, Colin Coughlin chipped in with two points from the half-back line, Brian O'Mara with another one. So the forwards had not fired tonight for UL, and it was basically the backs kind of got them out of the, the hole tonight. And um, they'll you know take a deep 
uh, deep sigh of relief coming away from Waterford tonight because they easily could have lost that game. Uh, it was there for Waterford. And uh, I'm sure uh, Brian Ryan will just be delighted they got over this one. And uh, yeah, like uh, missing Rogers there as well. Like uh, it's grand saying they have all this talent on the bench or whatever. But when you have a guy who's kind of doing it week in, week out and is missing, then somebody has to step up all of a sudden in the Ireland semi-final. And it's easier said than done. But uh, yeah, I think they'll take heart from how they fought it out and gritted it out. And uh, it just shows that, you know, uh, coming through games like the UCD quarterfinal where it was, you know, very one-sided that they're able to win tight games as well. So, and there's no doubt like the final could be, you know, right, right up there because Galway will fancy their chances as they always do when they get to Fitzgibbon final. So look, should be a cracker. And uh, look, it is kind of worrying, I suppose, that it's come up a lot about Sigerson and inter-county football, but you do see a lot of the guys playing in the Fitzgibbon, like being thrown out again at the weekend. And it, it look, it is a worry. Like you'd Rogers played uh, three games in six days there. Like, is there a need for Lohan? He knows him, like, and he's got three other league matches to go. And Brian Lohan being heavily involved in, in Fitzgibbon himself as manager of UL previous times. Like, they must know the, the load that's been put on these players. And just, uh, I don't know, especially especially players that, like, he, he knows a lot about what Rodgers can already do. Like, does he really need to throw him in against Limerick in the Gaelic grounds and have the likes of Tony Kelly giving him a night off? Maybe throw Tony in there in corner forward for a bit just to... You know, get, get get through this period of games before the Fitzgibbon Cup is finished. You know, yeah, absolutely. Because you, you took the words out of my mouth here, uh, Rory. Probably get bringing you back in here, Karen. Just in terms of even you know, training minutes, game minutes of these guys, particularly third level into intercounty. These first two rounds of fixtures, we've seen an awful lot of up and down performances from intercounty teams. Should we just run a rule over the first two rounds, given so many third level? guys they're playing Fitzgibbon playing inter-county and training here that maybe we should evaluate the league maybe maybe further on maybe from round three onwards yeah or I think even for, for as Rory alludes to a player welfare like and I think you know Mark Rogers isn't the only Fitzgibbon player to be playing for county at the weekend as well you know Adam I English played a full game as well and even for Galway like Nyland played you know so they're not just it's not just you know, players here and there. They're, these guys are playing at the weekend as well as midweek, and you know it is it is a hard, like six three games, six days, and and heavy ground as well. You know, it's not summer ground. There is a long year there, and there's a long part of the year where maybe the Fitzgibbon fixture list could be changed. You know, just to allow or the the league fixture list can be changed just to allow it to because it is a it's a great competition, and there's some very good hurling and football in Sigerson. You know, it's very important, and you know I'm sure there'll be a big crowd in Waterford on Saturday to. To, to watch the final and you know we all wanted to happen but I think yeah the crossover between the early rounds in the league and if it's given it's not ideal for the for players who are going to be caught playing both Congratulations anyway to NUIG Galway and University of Limerick again identical final to last year so I think it'll be a wonderful occasion down there in Walford. So best of luck to both teams uh, I suppose moving on from Fitzgibbon uh, Rory we have you on the Ashburn Cup. First off, we have to congratulate TU Dublin on their maiden final win, beating UCC in a very exciting game after extra time, 111 to 13 points. I suppose Antrim's Roisin McCormick coming up trumps there with two clutch frees at the end of regular time and also an extra time to win it. Uh, Dowell as well, 1-3. And then there's notable mentions for O'Leary, six points, Finn and Hayes, three points each from UCC. But you wouldn't have known in terms of the final result, unfortunately given the 
before the backdrop here, Rory, being head coach of the UL Camogie team, what's been, what's the feeling, you know, in terms of what's gone on? I suppose you could probably give our listeners a bit of a background to the, the setup the week before uh, the Ashburn Cup here. Well, yeah, well, first of all, to echo what you said, congratulations to TUD, um, their first ever Ashburn win. And in a way, it, it's a pity that, as you said, a lot of the headlines are gone from them and it's nothing got to do with them. It's got to do with the running of the competition by the CCAO and the Camogie Association as well. Because, um, yeah, like, what, what for, obviously, I, I'm coming at it from a, a, the UL point of view here, but um, it's just been farcical, really, and the lack of communication or transparency, most of all, is is the worst part. Like, you have players seeking answers as to what actually happened, why are they out of the competition, and nobody willing to talk to them, nobody willing to give them a hearing, and, and look, that's probably the most devastating part. But, like, that's taken nothing away from TUD, who are on the pitch, went out and that, uh, you know, gave two huge performances, semi-final and final, and uh, yeah, hats off to them. Um, But look, uh, I suppose from our point of view, as far as we were concerned, up until 9.19am on Wednesday, the 8th of February, we were going to the Ashburn finals weekend. And um, for people who aren't really up to date and things like before we played Maynooth in our final game, we sought official clarification as to what score we needed to win by in order to qualify. And we were assured it was 33 point win would be enough. There were five scenarios based on the potential result of that game with Maynooth, which both ourselves and DCU, who were the other team affected with the score difference, were made aware of by email the week before the match. We were not informed ourselves of any issues with the sentence at that stage. They had been posted on social media. It was up on Instagram and Twitter and everything from the CCAO. And actually, incidentally, those standings are still there. And um, the standings going into the last round are still there for everyone to see. Anyway, look, after achieving the tar- our target and winning by 34 points, which... You know, took a lot of doing in itself. We were immediately congratulated in person at, at the venue by the chairperson, then on social media, and then the next day, an official email congratulating us and inviting inviting you all to the Ashburn weekend. So kind of two days later on the Thursday, we were made aware DCU were querying the table and that the scoreline that the CCO had from their victory over Minute on the 29th of November was incorrect. Now, you might wonder why they queried the table after the game and not before the game. But look, we, we took it at the time when we were told about it. We, from a UL point of view, didn't think any team should be knocked out by a human error with score difference. So um, there was a meeting between ourselves and DCU through with the CCAO as well. And we offered DCU a, a playoff game. You know, a one-off game between us because we felt it would be very unfair. At that stage, we were going through, but DCU refused that and they asked for it to go to the board. So we didn't even know what what board. It was just uh, at the time the board. But uh, we're still not sure whether that was an official appeal. Like, did they, you know, get an appeal through the secretary of the club, whatever? It was, like, these are the questions we don't have. Like, we presume DC would lodge an appeal to the group standings, as that is generally how the THDC become involved. So the THDC are the overall Camogie Association, like as such, they'd be, let's say, the Crow Park of the Camogie Association. So over the next few days, there was complete silence as to what was happening. At no stage did we actually think we're going to be eliminated, as we'd done absolutely nothing wrong. And if an error was made, it was made elsewhere, and we didn't think we'd be punished as a result of it, but how wrong we were. On the 8th of February, as I said, we received a two-line email from the THDC, which actually read, the committee confirms that the result of the DCU, DE versus Maynooth game played on the 29th of November 2022 is as confirmed by the referee, DCU 620, Maynooth four points, 
As a result, DCU will advance to the semi-final of the Ashburn Cup. Now, what's remarkable about that statement is UL aren't mentioned in it once, and we're the team that are being eliminated. There's no rule mentioned as to um, what's going on here with the referee's report or lack of report or scoreline. So when you appeal a decision, you have to appeal a rule. So we're left in the dark going, what, are we, what can we appeal here? So we were given with this in such proximity to the Ashburn Cup, we had very little time to put together, you know, a, a, a proper appeal. We saw questions asking for more information, which we felt we were entitled to, and nothing came back. So um, eventually, we put in appeal on Thursday morning, only to be rejected again 11:30 on Thursday night, which doesn't give you much time again. So on Friday, when we sought to put in a second appeal, we were told we actually were given we were given word that we could put in a second appeal, but it was rejected because we had already put in a first appeal. So that kind of uh, wasted a lot of our time on Friday um, when we could have maybe been pursuing other avenues. But look, the whole thing stinks. Um, on Saturday morning, we had a very emotional meeting with the players. We were trying to ask, you know, what, where do we go from here? And um, the players were all adamant they wanted to be up in, in UCD. At, at the uh, Ashburn semi-finals just to show um, CCO like that they first of all that they felt they should have been there on the pitch but also um, maybe you know to get some answers up there um, I, we thought that if we went up there jerseys on and had a dignified protest side of the pitch like not interfering with anyone playing and that somebody from the CCO would come over and approach the players and maybe tell them what, maybe even just speak to the captains and Asked them what was going on, but no, it was it was real weird. It was a really kind of eerie atmosphere up there, and yeah, no one came. No one came to speak to you from the CCAO. Nobody, nobody even acknowledged our presence up there, which was, yeah, it was it was baffling, really. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I actually that was maybe the worst part, and I think um, Siobhan McGrath, you might have heard an interview during the week, and she spoke and she said like that was an extremely disappointing thing from players after making the whole way up, the trip the whole way up there. Um, just to like have nobody come in and offer any sort of an answer or explanation. Um, yeah, that was that was it was definitely one of the lowlights of the of what was a, a low week to be honest. How are you feeling, Rory? I mean, it's been a whirlwind last few days and even week for you here. How, how are you mentally in terms of all that? Because I mean, not a lot of late nights, not a lot of mm. spending massive hours lodging appeals. Really, how have you been here? Well, when you get an email at 11.31 at night to say that, you know, your appeal rejected and you realise you have to, you know, to try and get another appeal in, you don't sleep that night like you're, you're up. And uh, I suppose with Google Documents, we had two, three management at a time, like typing in, trying to put something together because it's uh, something you can't really do on your own. You need you need um, the rest of your management team with you. And it's just, I suppose, uh, the fr really frustrating thing is like your line of bed, you're trying to think of of different ways you can approach it and try and get the players a hearing at least. And because like, it's quite obvious how unfair the whole situation is. Um, and, and that's the, the remarkable thing. Everyone who's heard the story or I've spoken to, like, just can't believe it really. Like, there's so many questions more so. Yeah, so that was kind of a, that was probably the real like thing. I, I, you know, it was it was hard to get a good uh, any a bit of a night's sleep when these things are racing through your mind and just not knowing where to apply to, who to apply to, what rule. And I thought that was the most remarkable thing. Like we were told, according to the guidebook, we had to appeal a rule, but yet we were thrown out without any rule quoted. So like all this stuff, kind of, it just uh, I don't want to use the word it stinks, but yeah, it 
I can't actually best where they can come up with. Like the whole thing seems distinct to me anyway. For anyone looking in from the outside, like the, when the word came out that UL were actually, you know, printed on the match program, like, you know, really, geez, there's enough cheek for two arses, like, haven't they? You know, just to add insult to injury, like, you know, that it wasn't even modified or, and I, I think as well that from the outside, and the question would be, like, if it was, if it's given team, and we all know the answer, it wouldn't have happened. You know, there would have been a hearing at least, and you would have had written clarification, but you know, I, I just, you know, from a Kamogie point of view, I, I do hear that like the the board or the CCO, they're they're voluntary organization or they're voluntary uh, members. So you know, is it time to you know everyone to group together and you know this this can't happen like be it men's hurling or women's Kamogie, like you know it shouldn't happen. You know. Yeah, and I suppose one thing as well to remember is like the people over the teams are all voluntary as well. Um. You know, and it's one thing as well that the players spoke about, like they're always demanding the highest standards of each other training. Like we have the commitment made by the players. And look, it's not just UL. I'm sure every other Ashburn team are in the same situation. But we have girls uh, on work placement, like coming from like Kilkenny, Waterford, back up for, for training sessions, you know. Um, just unbelievable commitment, like, and uh, for them to be let down by kind of standards elsewhere. And to be honest, as well, I think the CCAO have been kind of thrown under bus a small bit by the T- by the Camogie Association, because ultimately it was the Camogie Association that made this decision in the end. Um, how it was kicked up to them, we still don't know, because um, generally, like, uh, we were looking at the terms of reference of the THDC, who were the disciplinary hearing committee of the of the. Um, Camogie Association and as far as we could see you had to like uh, appeal or make a full objection to get up there so how it got up there we don't know but look um yeah I just felt like that they were kind of um like these were the people that aren't the you know the student volunteers and yet they were the ones that decided to eliminate you well without any explanation without any hearing and they thought that was okay and it's the players here who have suffered like uh like you're talking, uh, the likes of Siobhan McGrath, Kate Lynch in, in our place, Aoife Prendergast, like their final year in college. Like, and to, like I think we had six, seven final year girls who will never play Ashburn again. And their last memory of the Ashburn Cup is, you know, that. And injustice, uh, really. A complete yeah, injustice. That email slash text message that I had to put out on that morning um, just to say, like, that our appeal seems to have failed and there doesn't seem to be any other avenue now. Um, but look, one thing that we, we've said as a management and as a group of players, like we're not letting this lie. Like there's no way we're going to, you know, forget about this and let it go on. And so it can happen somebody else next year. Uh, we're going to pursue this like all the way until we get answers here. And, um, you know, we're going to get back in on this as well. And uh, just glad to hear during the week from from UL, from, you know, different departments and stuff in UL that there's uh, huge support um, behind the girls here and uh, in, in the pursuit of just an explanation, first of all, just a fair hearing um, and I know you might say what's the point now the competition is over but I think there's huge value in it if we can find out what happened exactly and if there was something wrong in what happened which I have deep suspicions there was but if there was something wrong in what happened just that it's it's made known publicly yeah so look there is still a lot to pursue here and and, and I don't think we should let this lie at all until we find out exactly what happened and what was behind the decisions that were made. No I think think that's a noble move from you Rory and staff and University of Limerick because as you say this could happen to another collegiate team uh, next year what I'm baffled about is three months after a result that we have an amendment 
I mean, match reports from referees having to be submitted. I would imagine there would have been some sort of the two teams in question here would have had to have confirmed that result. Uh, I mean, there just seems to be an awful lot of questions and just the, the ambiguity in terms, as you say, in terms of the rules um, here, um, just it leaves a very sour taste in the mouth. And I mean, we should be talking about TU Dublin here and on their maiden win, and it's been completely and utterly overshadowed here. But retrospectives have to happen. This is a classic retrospective in terms of what's happened here because the transparency, the inspection, the adaptation here has to happen here from both the CCAO and also the THDC as well of the Camogie Association. I mean, there has to be improvements here and it would be amazing to see what these two bodies will actually do and react because uh, what is the line of inquiry right now from your perspective here, Rory, and University of Limerick? Have you requested a meeting or well, what's the next steps? I think like the first thing we're going to have to do this week um, is just like again send in questions again because it's very hard again like if you're going down a, a road of of challenging them on it of ch- like what exactly are you challenging because we haven't been quoted a procedure as to what's happened so like I don't know I I would be I'd have been of the impression that if if you were to make a decision like that where a team was told exactly what they had to score. They went and achieved that, and then you're saying to them, "That's not good enough. You're out." That there's more than just saying, "Like DCU, go through now." There has to be a proper explanation as to how they came to that decision, ahead of even like a playoff between the two teams, if that's what they decided or whatever decision they came to. Like you can't just have it one team eliminated with radio silence and then not offer them a right to a hearing or anything after that either. Like to be honest, uh, it, it, like this might sound a bit daft, but if if the THGC had said, "Okay," At least it deserves as a hearing. Well, then maybe like they could have made contact and said, you know, if you want to get a hearing, this is the way to pursue it properly, rather than just letting us try and fail. Because I don't know, like it, it sounds like we needed maybe legal action in immediately, and that's probably the one mistake. That if I was looking back, that we didn't um, get solicitor in straight away on this because we were we were appealing against something that was impossible to appeal against. Like when you even have to talk about legal and sports, it really, you know, it really does speak volumes here. I mean. Yeah. That's it. We didn't think it would have ever have to go to that. So that wasn't the first thing that popped into our heads. But but now looking back, maybe it should have. Um, and again, look, I, I just want to finish as well by by talking about TUD again. And we, we played them during the year as well. And they were they were the surprise package. They had just won the parcel last year. It was their first year up in Ashburn with this bunch of them. They were they were the surprise package. They had just won the parcel last year. It was their first year up in Ashburn with this bunch of players. And um, look, they played heart and, and skill determination like. Um, there was there was talk through the week of somebody saying let's have like a um, a charity game or a between like the league champions and the Ashburn champions. And, um, it would be nice if it happened, but I suppose with 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 Camogie intercounty Camogie league starting and everything, it's just hard to fit these games in. But I suppose the offer is out there for TUD if they if they have time and wish to fulfil a game like that. It'd be be a nice one actually. It might draw a bit in a bit of a crowd, and if we had uh, proceeds going to Turkey and Syria, maybe something like that might help. Absolutely, Rory. You know, feel for you. Feel for the University of Limerick, um, all the Camogie players, staff, you know, and uh, yeah, wish you well in seeking the answers here from a CCAO and THDC uh, perspective here. And yeah, you can keep us posted in terms of how that's all going for you. I mean, we wouldn't certainly won't drop this uh, topic here on this podcast anyway, because I think this has to, it has to be improvement here and to, governance structures of this competition i mean 
as you say, this could happen again, you know, which is unfortunate. But so many questions, Rory, and we wish you well. I suppose uh, we'll leave it there, guys. Many thanks, uh, Rory and Kieran. Suppose next week we'll focus back in on the Allianz Hurling League and also the Fitzgibbon Cup final. Uh, until then, uh, guys, have a great weekend and sure we'll chat next week. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.